Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Lord God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here and continue our worship of you by studying your inspired word. We thank you that not only did you breathe it out, did you inspire this word, Lord, but you also preserved your word in spite of the many attacks that have come against the Bible. Lord, you preserved it and and we're able to read it today, Lord. We even thank you, Lord, for those who used to translate it in various languages so that, that many people will be able to understand it. Lord, we're continuing to grow, Lord. And so we do ask for fresh insight. We ask for understanding. We ask that by your spirit, you'll help us to apply your word to our lives. That way we don't become just hearers, but we also become doers of your word as it's recorded in the book of James. And so, Father, I do pray for a fresh filling of your spirit. And I ask you to allow me to use the gift of teaching to rightly divide your word of truth. We love you, we thank you, we give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, Nathan, the prophet, was sent on a mission by God earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and he had a message for David. And this, of course, is King David, if you're uh, new to the study or if you're visiting. And so this message that he carried from the Lord was to help to expose David's sins of adultery and murder. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he had Uriah killed on the battlefield purposely. So that's murder. And so after hearing about his sin, after being exposed, David, being the man of God that that he was, And you can still see that he's a man after God's own heart because he didn't try to hide it. He didn't deny it. He didn't run away, but his heart was broken and and he confessed his sin. The scripture tells us earlier in 2 Samuel 12, he confessed it. And Nathan, the prophet, God's messenger at that time, told him that, that he was forgiven, that the Lord also has put away your sin. That's what the Lord shared with him with this man after God's own heart, this sweet psalmist of Israel. And now in verse 15, we find out one of the consequences of David's sin. We find that out, and and Nathan, by the way, shared many consequences, just all the drama that would arise from his family. And as we keep studying the scriptures, we'll we'll see all these things unfold, but, but... just sticking to verse 15 real quick. It shows that the Lord had struck David and Bathsheba's newborn baby. And the baby became ill. And so tonight we're going to pick up in 2 Samuel 12 at the, at the 16th verse. And of course we're going to go through the scriptures line by line. And we're going to stop at verse 25 tonight. But as usual, we do have a title of 
the message or for the message. And the title is, I Accept. I Accept. And so we're going to look at verse 16 and once again, 2 Samuel 12, and see what the Lord has for us. In verse 16, it says, David therefore pleaded with or begged God for this child, this child that the Lord has struck in verse 15. And it tells us that David fasted and he went in. So he probably went into his house and he lay all night on the ground. And so David heard from Nathan once again that this child he had with Bathsheba was going to die as a consequence of his sinful behavior. And so we heard about that. We, we read it previously in chapter 12. We heard that horrible consequence. And here we see that David is just heartbroken. But this baby, this, this newborn, even though this baby didn't sin, it, it felt the effects of David's sin. And there's something there for us tonight. And that something is that children and even other people in our lives often feel the effects of our sins. For example, in a marriage with children involved, you know, once that marriage dissolves, once those parents get a divorce, the children, of course, feel the effects of that sin. Or, or if one of those parents commit a crime and they end up in prison, that child, for example, will feel the effect of that sin. And so, yes, children and other people in our lives can be affected by our sin. And in this case, we've seen that this newborn child was affected. This baby is sick and on the verge of dying. And after David saw that this child was, was stricken, that this child was ill, he, he went to the Lord. And he didn't ball up his fist and shake it at the Lord. He didn't blame God. He didn't blame anybody else. But, but he went to the Lord to request or beg for the life of his child. And of course, those of us who are parents. Yes, we can understand why David didn't want his child to die. You know, most normal parents love their children. They don't want to see any harm come to their children. They don't want to see, they don't want to see their children die. They don't want to have to bury their children. And so, so we can understand why David is hurt here. We also understand why he would turn to the one who could, that is, if he wanted to, turn this situation around. So God is the one who can turn it around. And so, yes, you understand why David would go to God for help. He didn't go to the prophet. He went to the Lord. He fasted. He, he begged on behalf of the child. He laid all night on the ground. And so, yes, David was in the situation that's different from many of us. Yes, this consequence of sin is different from many maybe that we've experienced. But as we look at what 
David is doing here in verse 16, we can take a general lesson from this. And that general lesson, that overall message is that we should too pray fervently for our children. And it doesn't matter how old they are. We should still pray for our children. And it's okay to fast if we're led to fast in that situation. But I wonder tonight, is that something we're doing or are we looking at our children who have maybe gone wayward or just just acting silly, just acting crazy? And are we just looking at them and have we given up on them? Are we taking them to the Lord? Are we begging the Lord on their behalf? Lord, intervene in their lives. Lord, uh, please allow whatever you will into their life. Bring whatever you will into their lives, but spare their lives just, just enough so that you will get their attention. Just enough, Lord, that they will hit rock bottom and that they could only look up from there. Are you praying a similar prayer? All right, I would encourage you, mom and dad, I would encourage you, grandparents, to continue to pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your children. In verse 17, it says, so the elders of his house, speaking of David's house, they arose and they went to David and they wanted to raise him up or pick him up from the ground. And he would not. He just wouldn't get up. Nor did he eat food with them. But then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. His newborn baby died. And the servants, some translations may say advisors or staff of David, they they were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him and he would not heed our voice. He wouldn't even listen to us. And the child was living. So, so how can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. Or in other words, he may harm somebody. He may even harm himself or some translations may say he may do something desperate. And so they were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. But when this child died here, We can see that God's word through Nathan, the prophet, had come to pass. And you could take a look at verse verse 14 as a reference. And what this shows is that Nathan, of course, is a true prophet of God. And so I say that because of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. It says, and if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken And it says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So how can we know that the word which the Lord has not spoken And there's a very simple test there. If the thing does not happen or come to pass, as it says in verse 22 there in Deuteronomy 18, then the Lord has not spoken. The the prophet, in other words, the so-called prophet, 
has, has stepped out of bounds. He's spoken presumptuously. He, he really didn't get that word from the Lord that is of his own, of his own will. He overstepped his boundaries. And we, we see this all the time on, on YouTube. And yes, there's some good stuff on YouTube. There's some good Bible teachers there. So I'm not going to knock it. I, I watch it sometimes. But there's also some junk on there. there. There's folks on there who will just, instead of prophesying, they'll be prophesying. And so you have to use some discernment. And so don't be gullible because what they share is what you want to hear. Don't, don't be gullible. Instead, test the message against the revealed word of, word of God. Test it against the word of God. What is revealed? The Bible. Is what they say. Does it match up with scriptures? Oh, I had a dream that so-and-so was going to happen or whatever. What is that dream? Does it, does it contradict scripture? And then, of course, wait and see if what they said comes to pass. And then you see many of them will try to backpedal or maybe even try to erase the video. But don't be gullible. Use this test here as it tells us in Deuteronomy 18 verses 21 and 22. In verse 19, it says, when David saw that his servants or staff were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. And so the servants in verse 18, now remember, they were at first debating whether or not to tell David about his child dying because they figured that he might do some harm. He might do something desperate. He might hurt somebody. He may even harm himself. But while they were debating, we see here that David figured it out. He figured out what was going on. So he just flat out asked them, is the child dead? You're over there whispering, is the child dead? And so they admitted it. And I'm glad they did that. They admitted that the child had died. And so this is, once again, something that we can glean from the scriptures. And, and, and that thing that we can glean, which I would call a spiritual nugget, is that we, we shouldn't or cannot withhold truth from someone just because we're concerned about what they may do. Oh, are they going to harm somebody? They're going to harm themselves. You know, they're going to have a temper tantrum. You know, people do this with their children. You know, pat them on the back, affirm them in the sinful lifestyles that they have because they don't want to see them throw a tantrum. They don't want to see them go crazy and, or, or try to even commit suicide. And unfortunately, today, we, we even see this in our society. When it, when it comes to a certain segment in our society, a certain community. For example, with the transgender community. One of the reasons that they would use that, oh, if you don't affirm them, then, then they will die. And what do they mean by that when they say that? And if we don't pass these laws to protect them, they're going to have more of them dying. What do they mean by that? 
What they mean is that if we don't affirm them and tell them that they're okay in that lifestyle, then they may commit suicide. But what they don't know is that many transgenders who go through with the surgery, they still commit suicide because they still don't find fulfillment because fulfillment is not in their gender. It's not in the way that they dress. What they're missing is Jesus. And the world, they don't know that. We as believers know that. So as believers, we need to stick to the truth and not withhold truth from some just because we're concerned about what they're going to do to themselves or what some politician told us. Oh, these, this segment of people, they're going to do this to themselves if, if you don't clap your hands for them, if you don't celebrate with them. That, that is not loving. That is not loving. No, in fact, if people don't hear the truth, they'll be worse off. If, if they don't hear about how God views sin, if they don't hear about the result of sin, which the scriptures tell us that the wages of sin is death, if they don't hear about that, if they don't hear about the good news about Jesus taking care of the sin issue, if they don't hear about the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ, if they don't hear about the only way that they can truly because, become the best version of them is through Jesus If they don't hear that that truth, then they are going to be worse off, guaranteed. And that's just not for a certain community. That truth, what I just shared with you, is for any type of community. I I don't care who it is. See, but you have to affirm them. They they feel this way. They, they, they want to become that, that the new person. They, they want that new person in them to blossom and, and to come out and everybody applaud that. Everybody affirm that. But I'm just going to share this and then I'll move on to uh, some more scriptures into another subtopic of our lesson tonight. But I'll share this one thing that the only quote unquote new person that God affirms is the person who is a new creation in Christ. In verse 20, it says, so David arose from the ground. He washed, he anointed himself. In other words, he probably put on some olive oil. It's anointing oil and he changed his clothes and he went into the house or this tabernacle of the Lord and he worshiped. Then he went to his own house and and when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servants. Or his staff, they said to him, what is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while the child was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him but he shall not return to me. See, David believed that he would meet his son again. And because he believed that, that brought him great comfort. You know, and there's different ways that Bible scholars interpret that last part where it says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. There, there's different ways that, that some people interpret that, but But to me, from what I see, it seems to show that he was talking 
about more than just joining his son in death. Because some believe that, oh, he's just talking about joining his son in death or just joining his, his son, his newborn in the grave. No, no, I think he was talking about beyond the grave, physically. Because David, he had a hope of reuniting with his son in eternity. And we know that David had an eternal hope. Because in Psalm 23, he said that, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So you know where his mind was. You know that he had that eternal hope. And so I believe that that is what brought him great comfort, that he would meet his son again, this newborn baby again in eternity. And that view of this verse, that interpretation of this verse would explain why he is no longer mourning. Because he had this great hope. And so, again, although this, what I'm about to say, is not the main topic of the study. I didn't want to be a lazy Bible teacher and skip over something that you're probably wondering. And probably something that you're wondering is, is will babies go to heaven? Babies who, who die, will they go to heaven? Or, or little children, do they, do they go to heaven? And so I don't want to be lazy. I, I don't, that just, you know, I, I do take the word of God seriously. And sometimes I'm a little too detailed. And so I have to pray about what to leave out and, and what to address in the studies. But this is not something that I wanted to skip over. And so I do want to address that without going on too long. Because, again, this is not the main um, topic of the study. But I do believe that babies will go to heaven by the grace and mercy of God and because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus. Now, I will admit that there's not one perfect scripture on this. However, we can come to a thoughtful conclusion based on gleaning or or pulling out from the Bible various scriptures and then, of course, putting them together. And, And this is. This is what we do with uh, sound doctrine or, or theology. Everything about a topic in the Bible is not all in one place. And so once again, you have to read all of the scriptures. And, and, and then once again, you just put them all together and look at them as a whole. And so this is the way I lean personally that babies, yes, will go to heaven by once again, the grace, the mercy of God and because of the blood sacrifice of Christ. And so... One reason for this belief is that although children, of course, although we all as as human are born with the sin nature, babies and children are morally unaware and are morally unaccountable. In other words, they are not at the stage or level of what you would call accountability. Therefore, they won't be judged for what they don't know. They won't be judged for what they don't know. And and I'll just throw out some scriptures to you. You can write it down. John chapter 9, verse 41. And also John chapter 15, verse 22. And so that's one reason that I personally believe that that babies will go to heaven if if they were to die. And also Deuteronomy 139, for example seems to show that there is a point where children have no knowledge of good and evil. So that still is in support of the first point. 
So it indicates once again that there's a point where the children have no knowledge of good and evil. And so I'm not saying that we all as humans are not born with the sin nature. But infants and little children, they're not quite aware of that. And I will say this, that each child is different. And so some children may become aware of good and evil at an earlier age than others. And so that's why instead of using the phrase age of accountability, I would prefer in in agreement with some other Bible scholars I listen to, to use the term stage or level of accountability because there's no certain age across the board. Some children mature faster than others. Some people become children, little people become more uh, aware of good and evil. You know, some may, you know, become more aware of the age of five, maybe some at the age of nine. And then I'm not even talking about children with disabilities. So I'm not even talking about that. We haven't even delved into that. Maybe that's another study. But again, that's why I use the phrase stage or level of accountability instead of age of accountability. But here's the second reason uh, for my view here personally is that uh, babies who die, they don't have a chance to suppress the truth or reject the gospel as you see in Romans chapter 1 verses 18 and on where it talks about these people purposely suppressing the truth rejecting God, turning away from God. And so young children who die, not just infants, but, but young children who die without knowing right from wrong and, and those who don't understand sin, they don't understand repentance, they don't understand uh, faith in Jesus, they don't even know who Jesus is really. They, they don't know that yet. And they never have the chance to, or the ability to reject the gospel. I, yes, I, you know, that's another reason I, I do believe that they'll go to heaven. They don't have a chance to suppress the truth, to reject the gospel. And the third reason, you know, Jesus gave an analogy. He says, the kingdom of heaven is made up as such as these. Speaking of children, the kingdom of heaven is, is made up of people like children. And so that analogy wouldn't work if there were no children in heaven wouldn't work if there were no children in heaven. And so, so you can write down Mark chapter 10, verses 13 uh, through 16, if you want to review um, that thought. And so, so far, so no, we don't have it on the, on the screen there, so I'll review it. So first reason is uh, babies, and children who, babies and children who are morally unaware or who are morally unaccountable. I believe will go to heaven. Second reason, again, babies who don't have a chance to suppress the truth or reject the gospel. Okay, they don't have a chance to. They, not even, they don't even know to do that. Then third reason, again, Jesus in that analogy, talking about the kingdom of heaven is made up of such as these, speaking of children. Again, that analogy wouldn't work. So that's the third reason. But then the fourth reason and the final one I'll give on this topic tonight is that we can depend on the character of God. We can depend on the character of God. So in other words, God will always do right. Genesis 18, 25. He's a fair God. He'll always do what is right. 
And so when you think of all that and then you look once again at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. It all makes sense. David believed that this newborn baby who was not at the age of or, or stage, rephrase it, at the stage of accountability, didn't have a chance to reject the truth or any of that and so forth. You know, David, David knew that he would see this baby in eternity. And he's going to dwell in the house of the Lord with him forever. Verse 24, it says, then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and he went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son and David called his name Solomon. And now the Lord loved him. So look at the grace of God there. You know, this, this situation started off as a sinful situation. It was born of sin. But, but look at how, how God is being gracious and merciful to this couple now. And, and he loved this baby, Solomon. And then he sent word. God sent word. Or in other words, he sent the message through Nathan the prophet. And so Nathan called his name Jedidiah. Jedidiah means beloved of Jehovah or beloved of the Lord, beloved of Yahweh. So he's, he's beloved of the Lord. Because remember back in 24, verse 24, it says, now the Lord loved him. And so that makes sense. He's Jedidiah. And so Nathan just didn't come up with that name on his own, of course, but he got that name from the Lord. But Solomon was no surprise to God because God had given David a heads up about Solomon beforehand. For example, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verses 12 and 13, it says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Because remember, uh, David had it in his heart to, to build a temple for the Lord. And so he said, he, he shared that with Nathan the prophet. And, and Nathan was like, oh, yeah, go ahead. Do whatever's in your heart to do. But then, but then God came to Nathan and was like, no, he's, he's not going to do that for me. But instead, here is a message I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to pass on to David. And so here is, is something that Nathan is passing on to David. What we read there in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13. And so, David, when, when you die, I'm going to set up your seed after you. I'm, you're going to have a son come after you. And I will establish his kingdom. Once again, speaking of Solomon. And Solomon is going to build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And of course, it also has some implications there of the Messiah, of Jesus, because that's the only way the kingdom will truly last forever. But then we also have another set of scriptures. First Chronicles 22, verses 9 and 10. And in these scriptures here, David is telling Solomon about what God had told him. And so in First Chronicles 22 Verse 9, it says, Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon. Solomon means peace. For I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. 
And he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So David shared that with Solomon there in First Chronicles chapter 22. Once again, verses 9 and 10. And so Solomon, just a little bit about him, he, of course, would be the king who would be in leadership when the temple, when that first temple in Jerusalem gets built. And Solomon would become known for his wisdom and for his riches. And the scriptures tell us that there was no king like him in wisdom and riches. The scriptures also tell us that he spoke 3,000 proverbs and he had 1,005 songs. That's 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. And by the way, King Solomon, he, he wrote many of the proverbs in the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, and of course, the song of Solomon, a wise king. But uh, of course, we know the negative side, how he fell into sin as well. Married a bunch of women and they carried his heart away and he began to worship idol gods. But, but, and so that's just a little bit about Solomon. But as we see in the text tonight, or at least we have seen King David. Yes, he was heartbroken after he t- was told that his child was going to die, the child before Solomon. But we're reminded of the fact that this man still prayed. This man after God's own heart was, he still prayed. Just in case, just maybe, he thought the Lord would show grace. But we see in that instance with with that other son, that newborn that had went on, And he died with the Lord. We've seen with him that God wasn't going to change his mind. And he didn't change his mind. But I wonder how many of us try to change the mind of God. When the scriptures clearly say no. Or it clearly tells us that something is wrong. That something is sin. Or or maybe it's not really a sin issue, but we pray about it and the Lord is not leading us to do that thing. And, and we just still try to press the Lord and we try to change his mind, even though all the signs show us that the answer is no. Doors are being closed. Bad thing after bad thing is happening every time we try to push forward with that plan. But, but we still try to change the mind of God. And, and David was just hoping that, that his, his son's life would be spared by the grace of God. And, and I'm just wondering, what are you trying to keep alive that God had already decided is going to die? What, what is that thing in and our lives, I'm going to include myself because the word of God is for me as well. What are we trying to keep alive in our lives that God had already said to let it die? That no, you can't have that. For some people, it's a, it's a certain type of relationship. 
Maybe it's a group of associates you continue to hang around and they're no good for you when there's no signs that they're going to receive Christ. They keep rejecting the Lord. And maybe the Lord is saying that that group that you hang around is a bad influence. You need to move away. You need to love them from a distance. Maybe it's a boyfriend, girlfriend relationship, unequally yoked. And God is saying, don't do it. And you're still trying to keep it alive. Oh, nobody ever made me feel this way, you're saying. And, and nobody else made me feel this important. Or nobody have bought these things for me. Or, or, or when I was a child and nobody took interest in me. And this person is. So, Lord, I'm going to keep this relationship. Lord, you must be mistaken. But the Lord had already decided that that relationship should die. But are you trying to keep it alive or, or maybe it's a goal? Maybe it's a, a, some type of career choice. Something that you made for yourself. But, but God says that's not what I want you to be involved in. God said let it die. It's even happened in churches. In churches with various ministries. You know, some ministries are on their last leg, but yet and still we're trying to do CPR on it. It's not, it's not being fruitful. God wants, to, wants us to pour into something else, but we're trying to do CPR and keep that ministry alive. So that can even happen in churches. God is saying, move on from that. Shut, shut that down and start something else. You use that building, use your resources, use your time for something else to, to pour into this group or that group. So, so what is that thing? What is that relationship you're trying to keep alive that God has already, de- already decided that it's going to die? But what I want us to do is look at David's reaction. Look at his reaction after his baby died. The baby, of course, that was born before Solomon. Look at his reaction in in verse 20. I I would just like to sum that up. That, That what you see there in verse 20 is that David accepted God's decision. He he found out God's will. This baby was going to die. It's horrible, but God said it and it happened. No matter how hard I prayed, no matter how long I fasted, no matter how long I laid on this floor, the baby still died. And when the baby died, he accepted it. And once again, you see that in verse 20. But, but are we willing to say, I accept? Are we willing to say, Lord, I accept? To whatever you have decided, whatever you revealed your will to be, I accept that. Lord, I prayed for that career change. I prayed to move from this city to that city, from this place to that place. I, I prayed about this and, it, and you said no, you shut it down. We have to decide, are we going to shake our fists at God? Are we going to curse God? Or are we going to have that type of attitude that David had here and and just say, Lord, I accept. You see, when 
When God makes a decision or when his will has been clearly revealed after weeks and months of prayer, notice that he always has a good reason. I I wouldn't encourage you. I would not encourage you to continue to pray for something God has already given an answer to. He's already said, no, you're going to keep praying for that. I would encourage you to not do that. But, but once again, just know that when he makes his decision that he always, 100% of the time, has a good reason and, and he's always right. But the question is, how? How should we respond after God has answered our prayer requests, especially in a different way than we wanted him to answer it? In other words, to put it this way, what does an I accept attitude look like? What does that type of attitude look like that, that Lord, I, I, I don't want this to happen. I prayed for something else, but this is your will. Okay, I'll roll with it what, what is, and really mean it. What, what does that look like? Well, first of all, you regroup. You regroup, you, you get up, you dust yourself off. Because notice that David, he, he washed himself, he anointed himself, he changed his clothes after he found out that, that this newborn baby had died. And so I would say that's the first step, regroup. Okay, Lord, you show me that that's not it. That's not, that's not what you want for me. Okay, let me get up. I'm not going to pout. I'm not going to fuss at my spouse. I'm not going to kick the dog if you have a dog or the cat if you have a cat. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to regroup. I'm going to start all over. Clean slate. And, And then the second thing is to move forward. Move forward. Because notice that David, not only did he wash himself, anoint himself, and change his clothes, but but notice that he said, okay, it's time to eat now. He was ready to move on with normality. And it's normal to eat. He was was ready to move on with the normal functions of life. He didn't have a pity party for himself. He didn't go out and drown himself in alcohol and By drinking it, drinking his life away. He didn't go and start abusing drugs. He didn't go and party himself until he couldn't party no more or anymore. Come on, English major, get it right. (laughs) He didn't do all that, but but no, he he just moved forward. But then notice this. He worshiped. This is what an I accept attitude looked like. I didn't, I didn't get my way, Lord. I didn't get my way. I didn't get what I prayed for. It doesn't look anything like what I prayed for. I, I wrote it down in my notebook. I sent it out in the prayer chain. 
And it doesn't look anything like what I prayed for. And so I regrouped. And so I've moved forward with my life. And then like David, he, I would encourage you to start worshiping the Lord. But Pastor Darrell, you didn't get what you wanted. I didn't get what I wanted. It didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. It seems like my prayer didn't even go past the ceiling. And how, how can I rejoice over that? How can I worship? Again, take a page from David. He went into the house of the Lord. He, he worshiped. But why? Because first of all, especially in the case of David and maybe for some of, for some of us, We can worship him because if he chastises us, if this is a sign of chastisement, that means that he loves us. Worship him because it means that, again, if it's chastisement and he said no or brought something in our lives, once again, he loves us and he treats us as as sons. If we're chastised, if we're disciplined by him, uh, if this is a form of discipline, if it is, Then it shows, as the scriptures tell us, that we are not illegitimate. King James Version uses a stronger word. And you can read that. But it means we're not illegitimate children of God. If we're in sin and he chastises us. And so we can worship him because of that. So David can worship you chastised me, Lord. You, you, you said all these consequences are going to come because of my sin. And you took my newborn uh, baby's life. You, you brought this sickness upon him. And he died, even though I prayed. But, but it means it shows that you love me. And you chastised me because you want me to be a partaker of your holiness. He chastises those he loves because he wants that spiritual growth in our lives. But also we can worship him because it shows that he wants the best for us. Lord, I prayed for that thing. I I fasted for it. I had a whole group at the women's study, the men's study. They, They fasted for it and everything. Didn't come to pass. The answer was no. The 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 door was slammed shut in my face. But I'm going to worship you anyway. Because that means you just know what is best for me. You know what's best for us. So I worship you because of that. I, I worship you because that means that you have a plan. You're not just saying no for the sake of no. You just didn't allow that in my life, even though I prayed against that. You didn't allow it just because, but Lord, you have a plan. And because of that, I worship you. I I honor you. See, we worship because it also means that he has something better. Because we're praying for one thing, thinking that's the best for us, but God shuts that down. Why? Because he has something better for us. And, and, And check this out. God does not want to give us his second best. He, he, he always wants us to have the best. If, if you don't believe me, check out what he did with his son. Jesus is the very best. 
the best gift that, that we could ever have. He sent his only begotten son, the greatest gift of all, to die in our place. He always has something better for us. He always wants to give us his best. Once again, Jesus is, the, is a prime example. So, so listen, if he ever says no, he has something better. As the worship team comes up, I would also say another reason to worship is because of simply who he is. Lord, you are a holy God. You, you didn't give in, Lord, to me pouting. Because you know all things. You knew that if I would have gotten that thing or if you would allow me to keep that relationship that you wanted to die. You, Lord, you knew that it would harm me in the end. You're so wise. And so I, I worship you because you are omniscient. I, I worship you because you, you never leave me. You never forsake me. Because of who you are, I love you. Because you first loved me. I worship you, Lord, because you are a God who keeps your promises. I, I worship you, Lord, because you are a holy God and you don't let sin go unpunished. Lord, I love you because and I worship you because you are so wise. I worship you simply because of who you are. So I would encourage you to start developing that I accept attitude because we're not always going to get our way. We're not always going to get our way, but but remember those things that we learn from the life of David when we don't get our way. Remember that I accept attitude. Regroup, move forward, and worship. Father, we thank you for tonight. We, we pray that you would just help us to move on from those things we've been trying to hold on to that you don't want us to have. You know that they're no good for us or Lord, if something happens, maybe it's not a sin issue, but maybe there's a loved one in our life who's, who's gone on to be with you. Help us, Lord, to see the big picture and accept your will, accept your way. Help us, Lord, by the power of your spirit to, to move forward and just to have that heart of worship And I pray tonight, Lord, that you will watch over us as we leave this place, but not your presence. Bless those who are watching online. Help us, Lord, to continue to grow and become more like Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you're able to stand, please do. Thank you for coming out tonight. May the Lord bless you, keep you, use you in a mighty way. And as always, we love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, 
how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.